is the Victorian Country Hour with Warwick Long on ABC Radio Victoria. Hello, hello. There is a lot happening today and we're going to take you through a lot of it on the Country Hour. We'll go to Flowerdale where fires have been burning and hear from someone who has had a lot of land burnt. His house is okay though. At least that's something to look at and uh, be grateful for. I'd imagine he'll talk to you about his experience shortly. Ministers, water ministers from around Australia and particularly across the Murray-Darling Basin are meeting today, this lunchtime right now, uh, discussing the future of the Murray-Darling Basin plan. What is on the menu? We can take you there for a little bit of detail. More will come out over the coming week. The state government has announced a compensation scheme for farmers where large-scale transmission projects go through their property. What are they offering you? We will go through those numbers if you haven't heard already. I'd love your views on this, particularly if you are a farmer living in those areas. What do you make of the government's offer? 1300 977 222 if you'd like to call. Hopefully the minister involved, Lily D'Ambrosio, will be joining you on the program. She's cancelled twice already this morning, but... We may be able to have a live discussion shortly. 1300-977-222 if you'd like to have your say, though. You can text to 0467-842-722. There's also a new vaccine for cattle, an important new vaccine that has been developed, hoping to stop a lot of unnecessary cattle deaths. We'll give you those details on the program. Right now, though, let's get some more details for Rural News with Emma Field, who's back today. G'day, Emma. G'day, Warwick. Making Rural News. Brazil has announced it will temporarily suspend beef exports to China as it deals with a case of mad cow disease, otherwise known as BSE. Brazil's Minister for Agriculture, Carlos Favaro, confirmed the case, which centres around a nine-year-old male animal from a small property in the northern Brazilian state of Parana. Mr Favaro says the World Organisation for Animal Health had been notified and samples from the animal had been sent to the institution's reference lab in Canada, which would be able to confirm whether the case was atypical. Matt Dalgleish from Episode 3 says if the testing confirms an atypical case, he expects Brazil's exports only to be suspended for a short time. No, that's right. Not that I've seen. They're still testing to see if this current case is an atypical, like described as an atypical case or if it's a more conventional uh, you know, infection that's, that's potentially more widespread. They usually, as a precaution, the Brazilian government will halt exports as a short-term measure just to make sure that they're demonstrating to their export partners that they're being responsible. Um, and then once it comes back, if it, if it does come back in the past, we've seen like an atypical case, then generally those um, those export arrangements kind of start back up again. So it can usually only be a, a fairly short-term hiccup if it's an atypical case. And Bega cheese profits are down by 74% in the half-year financial results released yesterday. High farm gate milk prices have put pressure on profit margins for the processor, which says were beyond what could be realised in the domestic market. And despite a record milk price, Australian milk production dropped by 7% due to labour shortages, flooding and farmers transitioning to beef enterprises. Bega Group CEO Peter Finlay and Executive Chairman Barry Irvin also gave an indication for next season's Farmgate milk price. I would say that um, you know, it is too early to call on Farmgate milk price, but you know, I think it would be notable that you would not expect that uh, it, it, would be, it would be 
um, probably at the very least stable. On balance, we would we would probably say that there is a, a little bit of downward pressure in, in some regions. Um, it's probably because of scarcity uh, be a little more stable than, than might have otherwise been the case. But but um, as I say, you, I, I think. I think all players would would say there is you, you need to reflect the market returns in your price in your in your farm gate milk price and and obviously there is a change in those market returns as far as as far as international markets are concerned domestic market we would say will be more stable. Not for profit organisation AgSafe have been appointed to run a national recycling program for seed and feed bags that are currently going into landfill. An initiative of CropLife Australia and the Australian Seeds Federation, it won't be funded by a farmer levy, but will result in an increase in product prices. AgSafe General Manager Dominique Doyle says Bagmuster will be modelled off the long-running Drummuster scheme. Drummuster has most of its collections through waste transfer stations working with local government. We expect that Bagmuster will have closer linkages to the retailers. We're not talking uh, hazardous waste here. We're talking uh, product bags. Um, and so um, having those strong linkages with the re- uh, re- resellers will certainly assist in the collection process. So we're looking at bags that are product bags that are entering the agricultural input supply chain. So from five kilos up to 1,000 kilogram bulk bags. So the products range from granulated crop protection products, seed bags, animal feed bags and fertilisers entering the, the agricultural supply chain. The operator of Australia's largest coffee operation wants to lift demand for the Australian grow and brew. Most of the coffee consumed in Australia is likely to be from Central America or Southeast Asia. Skybury Farm near Mariba is the oldest coffee plantation in the nation and General Manager Candy McLaughlin, Candy McLaughlin says with international coffee prices high, she thinks it's time for roasters and consumers to buy Australian. Because the baseline of coffee is up. Um, I know that um, through speaking to my roasting um, mates that they're now paying double what they were 12 months ago for a good international coffee. Um, So what we're starting to do now is encourage local roasters to even showcase Australian coffee once a month or once a year for two to three weeks because if they did that, all of the coffee grown in Australia would be taken up locally and we wouldn't need to find international markets for it. For those coffee listeners out there, Australia only produces Arabica coffee and on this farm we've been doing a red bourbon for many years and we're also starting to integrate a yellow katuai as well. And for this Friday, that's Rural News. Teaching me about coffee. Thank you very much for that. Emma Field there with Rural News for you today. Warwick along with you for the country. Hour. Let's go to Flowerdale now where a fire is continuing to burn and today being viewed as a critical day for efforts to get on top of the blaze. One of the farmers that had a lot of his land burnt is Trevor Larby who has a property at Flowerdale and I spoke to him a little bit earlier about what happened at his place and how he's going now. On uh, uh, in Flowerdale on, on what used to be called Junction Hill, um, which is just up from um, Spring Valley Road. We've got 150 acres there. And, and Trevor, it's been oh, a busy few days for you. Can you take us through what's happened? Yeah, look, uh, I think it was I think it was Tuesday um, after afternoon, late afternoon. Um, I got a, a notification on the uh, the VCAP emergency. Um, that there was a fire there and I looked at the, the map and it's literally right in 
right in where we are. So Spring Valley Road and then there's a southeasterly wind blowing it up north. So I took off I took off up there and uh, I was there probably an hour later and uh, I know I arrived to see, you know, basically the whole access road all covered with um, forest fire management um, vehicles and um, CFA vehicles. Uh, got to my place um, and the CFA were already there, um, basically dousing the house and the edge of the stables and sheds and things like that, putting out putting out spot fires. So it had already gone through in, in an hour um, and gone into, you know, across our uh, Minto Hills and then heading towards Yaspur and then down into the gullies and the valleys, which is pretty steep. So it was pretty fast moving um, and, uh, you know, as the CFA said to me, it's a, uh, it said, uh, it's a fickle beast. It picks and chooses what it wants to do and, and looks like a lot of our, a lot of our uh, buildings were saved as a consequence of that. Yeah, so your house was saved by the work of the CFA yeah. crews? Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it, it, we got a little bit of damage in our carport, but other than that, it, it avoided the rest of the house and, um, and yeah, it was quite, quite bizarre. What does your property look like now, Trevor? If you were standing at the house looking out across it, <laughs> it's uh, it looks like the moon. Um, we we fortunately don't have a lot of trees around the housing area because we we cleared it all away, so it was really all uh, mostly grass. But now it's all black, so it's it's completely gone. There's a lot of trees that were on fire that have burnt and fallen down around the property now. So um, uh, it's everything's black. For as far as the eye can see at the moment. And I'd imagine you've lost a lot of, even though the house is saved, a lot of infrastructure like fences and et cetera have all been burnt? Yeah, so all the, all the access fences, uh, you know, they've all got wooden um, uh, radiator pine posts. They're all gone, so all the gates fell over. Um, and the property next door is about 450 acres, and that, that's completely black all the way as far as the I can see as well. So... It, it took off and it moved pretty fast across the grass and then got down into the gully. Um, and, yeah, just it's been difficult for, for the, um, the aerial guys to, to bomb it for the last three days. Yeah, can you describe that, that country where your property is and the area that's burnt, Trevor? Because it, it's pretty inaccessible, isn't it? Yeah, look, it is. It, it, at, at the top of our place where the, where the, where the ridgeline is, it's 550 50 metres above sea level. And into the gully, which you know we we walk down, you know uh, periodically, is another seventy metres below. So it's actually quite a steep drop, um, and it, it's it's quite inaccessible. We'd never drive a car down there or a bike. The only times we've gone down there with a vehicle, sort of a six wheel drive. So it, it's pretty inaccessible. Um, and the forest management guys have have tried to get down there with uh, some of the dozers uh, to cut containment lines. Um, and that's about all the type of machinery that can get down there. That's just incredible. And, of course, the, the fire's still burning, but you're, you're still effectively dealing with some of the aftermath on your own place too. That must be a, a tough spot to, for you to be in. How are you going, Trevor? Yeah, look, unfortunately, uh, you know, um, all, of the, all of the firefighters and, and the FFM guys are pretty helpful, so they always pop in and... And you know, see how we're going, and uh, you know, make sure that we're safe as well. Um, but right now, it's it's just a moonscape, so there's pretty much nothing to burn there. Um, the, the difficult bit is that the winds changed around to the north and it's blowing more smoke back 
uh, over the top of us. And so if you if you start looking at it from King Lake and Glenburn and, and other places, you, you, you're going to see a lot of smoke coming across as, as, uh, as the north wind starts to kick in. Yeah, and today, um, today might be a, a busy day for firefighters trying to, to continue to control the blaze. Yeah, no, they've said that all along as uh, they're worried uh, about today because the conditions are actually much worse in the last couple of days because of the heat and the, and the north wind. Um, so, but they've worked like hell for you know the last three days to build up the containment lines to, to try and stop it from coming back. And I bet you're thankful at the work they did at your place at least to save the house. Yeah, look, I've got to say, um, you know, driving up there, I, I, I couldn't see how anything could have been saved uh, at all. But um, when, I, when I got onto our access road, I was told there was a lot of vehicles already down there. Um, and that was within an hour. So, yeah, I, I was pretty happy that um, they managed to do what they did. It's pretty, pretty amazing. Bloody amazing. Trevor, good luck with the clean-up at your place. Good luck for your community with the fire still burning over the next few days as well. But thank you very much for, for joining us today and telling us at least what happened there and, and what you're still worried about. Thanks for joining us. Great. Thanks, for Bye-bye. As Trevor Larby speaking to me just a short time ago, that fire is still a watch and act fire for Flowerdale, Strath Creek and Breaker Day. And uh, yeah, firefighters obviously saying they're taking advantage of last night's conditions of established control lines along the northeast side of the fire. The burning out activity, though, has increased smoke, as you just heard in that area. Smoke may be visible in your community for the next few days. Your advice is to stay close to a building where you can shelter. Uh, that's the safest option as conditions can change suddenly so keep an eye on that keep an eye on your emergency vic app or keep listening to abc radio for emergency information as it changes and comes to hand you're listening to the country hour work along with you at the moment we will talk about that compensation being offered for farmers shortly but let's go to another event happening today state and federal water ministers in the Murray-Darling Basin are meeting right now to discuss how to implement the final stages of the Murray-Darling Basin plan critical deadlines for water recovery are rapidly approaching and before the meeting started federal water minister Tanya Plibersek despite opening up tenders for water sales and buybacks already this week says all options for recovery are on the table there is no way of delivering the basin plan in full without the full suite of measures that we need. We need infrastructure programs, uh, we need on-farm efficiencies, we need water buybacks, uh, we need a bit of common sense and compromise and that's what I'm bringing to the table. I should also mention that uh, since coming to government we have been um, pleasantly surprised by the number of irrigators coming forward with proposals to sell water to the Commonwealth Government to be used for environmental purposes. That's Federal Water Minister Tanya Plibersek speaking there. New South Wales is the state where the majority of the water buybacks will take place, announced by the government this week. It's also the state that have been criticised recently from the Murray-Darling Basin Authority for being tardy on their water sharing plans and holding back the progress of the plan in general. New South Wales Water Minister Kevin Anderson has restated his state's opposition to water buybacks. 
Our position is clear that we do not support non-strategic buybacks. Uh, we want to remain uh, open to new projects to be uh, worked up, scoped up, because we believe that New South Wales has been doing a significant part of the heavy lifting when it comes to returning uh, environmental water to our river systems. And we firmly believe that healthy rivers, healthy farms, healthy communities is the way forward, not one or the other. That's the New South Wales Water Minister, Kevin Anderson, as those ministers were going in to their meeting this lunchtime. If anything changes or we hear anything, we'll bring that to you, obviously, on the country. More likely, in fact, I would imagine you are going to get uh, news from that either coming out this evening and we will cover off on it and give you the details that you need to know on Monday's Country Hour. You're listening to that very program right now where it's 21 past 12. Let's talk power right now. It's been a big week, actually, in terms of the government policies around power generation, renewable energy and getting it to the grid. The Victorian government today, though, has announced that they'll be offering farmers and landholders compensation payments for large-scale electricity transmission lines built on their property. We're talking a payment set at $8,000 per year per kilometre of transmission line hosted for 25 years or $200,000. Other compensation arrangements may also be paid for rural property owners who are directed to provide easements on their land as well. We are waiting on the Minister for Energy, Environment and Climate Change, Lily D'Ambrosio, to call into the program. We are expecting that she will do so any time now. If you want to have your say, though, you can give us a call, 1300 977 222 or text 0467 842 Wanted to go to some of those who have been campaigning in this space for their views, though, on what has been offered uh, in terms of compensation, but also some of the changes that we've seen in the policy in this area this week. Potato grower from Torello, north of Ballarat, Catherine Myers, can join you on the program now to do just that. Welcome to the country. G'day, Warwick. Should we start with the compensation payments? Because there's a few things to tick off here. But $8,000 per kilometre of transmission line hosted for 25 years or $200,000 in compensation. What do you make about this announcement from the government today? Look, it's ridiculous. And I think it really just goes to show how little this government knows about agriculture and the complexity of um, food production in our state. So why is it ridiculous in your view? It's a flat rate payment and it, it really is a very, very blunt instrument for compensating people. I think probably a simple way of thinking about it is it's offering farmers the same price for a kilo of wheat as a kilo of asparagus. It's really not considering any of the, the complexity or the productive productive um sorry, what's gone into producing that food. So similar payments, though, are made if a farmer has, say, wind generation on their property. They, they get a certain amount um, per turbine on their property as well. How would this be any different, I suppose, given it's now transmission lines going through property? The difference with a wind farm or a solar farm is that that's done under a commercial consent arrangement. So there's no compulsory nature to that. So you the can't ask for, to, for more money here and that's your issue? Approach them. It's... It doesn't reflect the impact that this infrastructure has on people's farms. So if you had an intensive potato farm and you weren't going to be able to produce potatoes under a wind farm, you would say no, you wouldn't engage in that. Whereas on a large-scale cropping farm where you can still crop under them, it may be an economically feasible option. So if you had a farm out in the Mallee and you're going to have four kilometres of transmission lines and you can still produce everything that you've previously produced under them, then this is, a real, this is a really happy sweetener as a compensation package. Whereas in intensively farmed horticultural land or intensive tourism areas or even intensively populated areas like we have here in the Central Highlands, it's really 
not not picking up the nuance of, of the impact this project's going to have on farms. And the fact the government's announced this compensation package now, given there's been obviously a lot of debate and a lot of protests before that, a lot of which the government itself has not engaged in and, and met with those asking for, for changes for some time, um, do you think this is an admission that maybe their policy for transmission lines was wrong? I think they've recognised that... AEMO has not done a good job of planning. I know the VFF wrote to the state government and AEMO back four years ago in 2019 and said, we're heading for an energy crisis. We need to do a strategic energy plan and we need to line that up around our food security as well. So balance the energy security for our state with our food security. And the government and AEMO have sat on their hands and they've done a terrible job of thinking about it. Someone in Canberra or Singapore has drawn a line on a map and they haven't thought about the implications of this at all. The state government has realised that there's a problem with this and that it is contestable in court and they've pushed a bulldozer through the whole thing. They've used legislation to remove our ability to defend our own properties. I want to ask you more about that in just a moment. Uh, On the point that the government has barely engaged with protesters and those with a problem with this policy like yourself uh, uh, over a long period of time, should have they engaged with you earlier if compensation was going to be on the table? I think it would have been great. I think most problems can be solved by clear communication and sitting down and genuinely talking to people rather than palming it off. The the problem with this project is it's been uh, a very hot potato that has had a lot of fingers. I'm confusing my um, my synonyms now, but um, it's a hot potato that's been passed around. So the state government said it's not our project, it's AEMO. AEMO said it's a federal project and the feds have said it's a state government project. So everyone's been able to have deniability on this particular thing. What's interesting about Monday is the state government's now stood up and said, this is our project. We're pushing it through under the New Energy of Victoria Act. And so they are the sole owners. So there's no excuses now when they choose not to engage with us. So what questions now, obviously we're, we're waiting on the minister and hopefully we will speak to her before the end of this program. What questions do you have about how this would work or what detail are you looking for now? There's enormous detail. We know we're confusing. There's multiple pieces of federal and state legislation involved. So I'd certainly like to ask her whether um, any appeals or concerns about the acquisition goes through the Victorian legislation um, and VCAT or whether it goes through the federal process. Does it fall under the Federal Land Acquisition and Compensation Act or the Victorian one? Are these payments on top of the Land Acquisition and Compensation Act Um, and how they see it going forward? I'd also really like to see how she feels this is a good outcome for Victoria. So when the initial economic analysis that was done by AEMO, they looked at putting the terminal station at Bolgana and they they chose not to because it wasn't the most economically viable option. That was putting it north of Ballarat, which is where they chose at Mount Prospect. And if they had have put it at Bolgana, they would have chosen a completely different route. It wouldn't have come through here at all because they recognise that this is a much more expensive area to to build a transmission line. 
So now they're putting it back to Borgana, it'd be really interesting to see whether they're considering alternative routes. Uh, you can... Uh, I'm actually want to ask you about that as well. You're, you're creating a lot of lists for me. You're hearing the voice <laughs> yeah, of Catherine Myers, <laughs> potato grower from Torello, north of Ballarat, uh, speaking about the government's plan for compensation for transmission lines going through farmers' properties. But as you've just alluded to then, Catherine Myers, it has been a big week in terms of uh, announcements and changes to the project in this space. Can you take us through the week of announcements from the state government as you understand it? Yeah, so Monday morning we awoke to a government gazette an um, announcement where the Minister for Energy, Lily D'Ambrosio, had made a decree for the first time using her new Energy of Victoria powers to effectively rule out the court challenge. So for people that have been playing along at home, um, we have found with the assistance of lawyers and a proper legal team that there were about 13 breaches to the national energy rules in the establishment of this project and there were five major changes in circumstance since the establishment of this project that should force AEMO as a network planner to start the economic analysis again and take it back to the drawing board. And we wrote to them and asked them to do that. And in November 2022, they wrote back and with a very large decision document and said, yes, we realise that the costs have gone up and there are these material changes in circumstance, but this is still the best option. And we were in the process of challenging that in court. So on Wednesday, we should have been in court at the directions hearing, getting a date set to properly challenge this, what we believe is an unlawful project. On Monday morning, um, the Minister D'Ambrosio brought out this Government Gazette announcement and a directive saying that she's taking over the project um, as a Victorian government project. And it's a new project, so it's no longer subject to... We can't appeal anything that's happened in the past. It's a clean slate. So, no, the project won't be open to legal challenge? We're not sure. We've got our lawyers working on that at the moment. There are questions around whether the Minister's overstepped her powers in making this announcement. Um, so we're just working through that process. And that's not all. As you end. said, the, 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 then there was a further announcement this week to um, make Bolgana the uh, location for the terminal station rather than Mount Prospect as well. So did that take yeah. you by surprise? We were, we were probably expecting that to some extent. The, there's been enormous pushback from our local area and the potato-growing region north of Ballarat to having a large piece of industrial infrastructure built in the middle of a food bowl and a prominent tourist de- destination. Um, even Osnet themselves actually wrote to AEMO as a part of the consultation process around the VNI West project and said that this was not a good place to try and build any kind of energy infrastructure. So I suppose they, they are listening to some extent. And now the announcement on compensation today. Did you have any idea it was going to be such a major week of announcements in this project? Uh, no, no. I have a four-week-old baby, so this is not what I was planning for my week this week. <laughs> No, no, it's um, it's been a lot bigger than we were expecting. Well, we thank you for your time. We are still waiting on the Minister to call. We'll obviously put her to air as soon as she does. But Catherine Myers, in the meantime, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Warwick. A potato grower from Torello, north of Ballarat, Catherine Myers, speaking there with her thoughts on the government's announcement of compensation. If you're a farmer in this area, if your land is on one of these routes for transmission lines... Will you take the compensation? You can let us know, 1300 977 2. You can text as well, 0467 842 2. Right now, let's head to the regional newsroom and find out what's making news around our state. Peter Sanders is there for us again today. Good afternoon, Peter.
G'day Warwick. A five-acre grass and scrub fire in central Victoria is now under control. Firefighters were called to Runnymede, northeast of Bendigo, at around 11 o'clock today. Crews discovered smoke and winds spreading the fire to the southwest. The Country Fire Authority has issued an advice message. The full effect of the COVID-19 pandemic on Southwest Victoria's health system has been revealed in financial documents. Southwest Healthcare's annual report for the 2021 to 22 financial year shows nearly half of all emergency patients waited more than 4 hours to be seen. There were 10 patients who waited more than 24 hours in emergencies. Elective surgeries were heavily delayed by the COVID-19 pandemic with more than 1000 patients on waiting lists as of June 30, 2022. Around 70 representatives from across the country's energy and mining union met with Chris Bowen yesterday, calling for a National Energy Transition Authority. The group says they want an authority with a timeline around what should happen when coal-fired powered stations close. Energy and Mining Union Victoria Secretary Mark Richards says there's been 15 years of no direction around what will happen during transition. He says the federal authority would ensure communication between states during the phase-out of coal-fired power. A tip-off from a concerned community member has seen more than $31 million of illicit tobacco seized from two northern Victoria properties. The Australian Taxation Office, with the support from Victoria Police, raided two separate properties in Nathalia and Katunga. More than 36 acres of tobacco crops were found in the, Nath- in the Nathalia property, while around six acres were uncovered during the Katunga raid. Eight local and state agencies will be forming a combined task force to tackle Mildura's housing crisis. About 700 local households are on social housing waiting lists. This week, the Rural City Council voted in favours of the terms of reference of the task force, which will begin in April or May. CEO of Mali Accommodation and Support Program Vincent Wilson says the collaborative effort will be a game-changer in what has been an issue for many years. A former community youth football umpire who faces allegations of historic child sexual abuse has had his court hearing delayed. Robert Charles Eccles appeared in the Warnable Magistrates Court today and strongly denies the allegations. Police told the court a second complainant has come forward as recently as February 3 this year and and requested Friday's hearing be delayed as the two matters may join. The matter will return to court on April 14th for a further contest mention. And Royal Lifesaving is calling for action to reduce inland waterway drownings. The latest data from the organisation shows one-third of all drowning deaths occurred inland over the past 10 years. Earlier this week, a man drowned in the Murray River at Mildura after being thrown from a capsizing boat. Katrine Pickles from Royal Lifesaving says local related plans are the most effective ways to keep people safe. And Warwick, that is the latest. Thanks, Peter. Peter Sanders there with Regional News Headlines. The Victorian Country Hour with Warwick Long on ABC Radio Victoria. We are trying to get onto the Weather Bureau at the moment. As you'd imagine, they've got uh, a few phone issues that we've been talking about for the last little while, so we'll try and get to them as soon as we can get through. In the meantime, your text message is coming in, particularly on that announcement today from the state government around uh, the uh, compensation paid for uh, transmission lines. This one says, Hi, what happens after 25 years? We have a 500 kVA 
uh, transmission line through our farm. It's been here for 40 years and could be here for many years to come. We've received a one-off payment many years ago. Stephen from Kerwa says a progressive 21st century government would legislate that all power lines are to go underground and that power companies are not to raise prices but use their profits to fund this. And uh, another one says power lines were put across farmland years ago. No one complained. Farming continued. No harm done. And this one's saying many callers will demand underground cables. This will require a large area that needs to be locked away. It's difficult to explain, but uh, it's an important point. Uh, and on the issue of changing legislation so the government cannot be legally challenged, Joe says, sounds like Victoria is run by dictators when legislation is changed so it can't be challenged. This one says High Court barristers, solicitors must be looking at uh, catalogues after the latest government's Announcement, says Brian in Venus Bay, suggesting that the lawyers will make all the money out of this. Um, and plenty of other text messages coming through. I will get to them as much as possible. Speaking of important information, I can tell you as well, I think we've got the Bureau, we'll go to them in just a sec. But in the meantime... ABC Radio, fire ban information. Yes, today is the day of total fire ban in the Wimmera and southwest districts of Victoria, today being the 24th of February. No fires can be lit or be allowed to remain alight in the open air from midnight last night until midnight tonight. Tools and equipment that use a naked flame or generate sparks, such as welding or grinding tools, must not be used in the open air. Tractors, chainsaws and lawnmowers should only be used if absolutely necessary. For more information, call the Vic Emergency Hotline on 1800 226 226. Keep listening to ABC Local Radio. But just to repeat, uh, today is a day of total fire ban for the Wimmera and Southwest Districts of Victoria. And we also have that Watch and Act fire still burning in the Flowerdale region. So if that is your part of the world, no doubt you are well and truly aware of that fire by now, but continue to keep yourself updated as the situation changes. Let's go to the Weather Bureau and find out what's happening weather-wise around our state. Hannah Marsh is with us now, Senior Forecaster at the Bureau of Meteorology. G'day, Hannah. Good afternoon, Warwick. How's it looking? Yeah, not too bad. We're starting to see the temperatures increase. We've been up to 34 degrees at Mildura, uh, 33.6 at Port Ferry, 32 at Horsham, 31 at Eastsale. It's been up to 28.8 degrees in the city in Melbourne, uh, 28.4 at both Shepparton and Bendigo, and it's been to 27 degrees so far at Ballarat. And uh, as you mentioned, we do have that heat wave warning uh, still going for the southwest, as also those uh, fire weather warnings for extreme fire danger through the Wimmera and the southwest for today. And we're just starting to see some very thin high cloud moving in from the west and we're expecting that cloud to increase as we head into the late afternoon and evening period and looking at the possibility of seeing some showers and even a rumble of thunder in the far west of the state late afternoon and evening and that's ahead of a trough that's moving through South Australia and we're expecting it to reach western parts of the state this evening and then move through uh, central parts of the state Saturday afternoon and eastern parts uh, in the evening and overnight. So we are looking at uh, the warm to hot conditions continuing initially tomorrow morning. It'll also be uh, quite windy with uh, moderate to fresh north to northwesterly winds 
But behind this change, we are expecting much cooler conditions. We're also looking at the chance of seeing some uh, areas of patchy rain and also some isolated thunderstorms. It'll most likely be about the southwest uh, during the morning and then extending to central parts and uh, in... So sorry, extending to central parts in the late afternoon and reaching eastern parts uh, in the evening and even overnight into Sunday. Then beyond that, we're really looking at uh, southerly onshore winds bringing isolated shower activity really on and south of the ranges and uh, much cooler temperatures around the uh, 20 degree mark in the south, getting a bit warm still in the north, uh, so getting up to uh, 25 degrees for Bendigo, 29 degrees for Mildura and 22 degrees for Melbourne on Sunday. Uh, And then similar conditions on Monday and Tuesday with a weak front just increasing the shower activity about uh, on and south of the ranges on Wednesday. So a lot happening there, really. Um, Weekend-wise, and and including today, Hannah, what are we looking at mornings-wise? Yes, as mentioned, we do have that uh, fire weather warning for the Wimmera and South West continuing for the remainder of today. We've also got that uh, heatwave warning for the Southwest District, um, which ends today. And in terms of marine wind warnings, we've got a strong wind warning for Port Phillip, Central Coast and East Gippsland Coasts for today, and then tomorrow for Port Phillip and East Gippsland Coast. Brilliant. Uh, Thank you very much for the update. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Hannah Marsh, Senior Forecaster at the Bureau of Meteorology, taking you through the full forecast there. You're listening to the Country Hour, Warwick Long with you on the program today. And let's talk interesting developments that can help the cattle industry right now. A venereal disease that causes infertility in cattle and costs the industry hundreds of millions of dollars could soon be a thing of the past. University of Queensland researchers are in the final stages of testing a new experimental vaccine and it could change the industry for the better. Megan Hughes has the story. Livestock disease has been front and centre recently, with foot and mouth disease, lumpy skin disease and Japanese encephalitis all making headlines. But work is underway to prevent a serious but lesser known disease. Professor Ala Tabor from the Queensland Alliance for Agriculture and Food Innovation at UQ says this venereal disease is quite prevalent. It's been shown that one in ten bulls that present at the abattoirs across northern Australia are infected with trichomonas fetus, which causes bovine trichomosis. So we previously hadn't had an Australian vaccine uh, for this particular disease. Bulls pass this disease onto cows during mating, and it can cause infertility and early abortion. Professor Tabor is working on developing this new vaccine. She explains what the team's done. We first obtained some positive samples from a bunch of bulls that were being culled. And from that, we made a culture collection. So we had to clean them up because obviously growing samples from the bull's penis, it's not a pure environment. So we have to purify and make the pure culture of trichomonas fetus that we could use in the vaccine because the vaccine has to be clean, right? And we inactivated it by heating, which is um, fairly 
a mild way of inactivating. You can use chemicals and things like that, but we just used heating. Yep, and to make sure we make sure they were not alive anymore before we formulated them in a vaccine. The industry is welcoming news of a vaccine for this disease. It's mostly prevalent in northern Australia, in WA, the NT, and in the Gulf Country in Queensland. But it has been found in southern regions, as cattle are being bought and transported down for breeding. Agfor Southern Inland Regional Director Bim Struss says this work could be a game changer. What it will do, particularly in uh, that northern region, it will be increased productivity. Provided it's, it's cost effective, productivity is the basis of what we're trying to do, Megan. If, if our industry doesn't produce the numbers of cattle that we need to produce, we lose, uh, we lose dollars. So it is very, very important. He says at the moment there's little options for the producers whose cattle test positive. Now, the only management practices uh, is to test bulls, who are the main carriers, and cull anything that's positive. And it's very, very important. The other way they do a bit of management on this, and it's more difficult, as you can imagine, in the Northern Territory or in Northern Australia. So where possible, they give cows sexual rest or better commonly termed as seasonally mates. So take the bulls out. And most cows, I'm told by my vets, will, will clear the disease themselves. It's an internal thing that they'll actually, they can clear it if they're getting some sexual rest. But bulls, uh, young bulls likewise, if you, uh, if you can keep them out of the cows for a period of time, they too will clear the disease. But older bulls, are less likely and, uh, and are they'll, they'll be carriers for life and they needed to be tested and certainly culled. The early trials of this vaccine have been successful on a small test group of bulls at UQ's research farm. Further testing is being done before the vaccine can be officially registered and sold commercially. That is Megan Hughes's report there on the new STD vaccine for cattle, which could save the industry hundreds of millions of dollars. If you want to read more and get more detail on that, you can head online right now to abc.net.au slash rural. We have been speaking today on the announcement from the Victorian government about compensation for farmers and landholders for large-scale electricity transmission lines being built on their property. I can tell you now the Minister for Energy, Environment and Climate Change, Lily D'Ambrosio, can join you on the program now. Minister, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Warwick. Can you tell me about this scheme? How's it going to work? Well, this is about fairness. Uh, We know, of course, as we uh, move towards renewable energy to keep the lights on, to clean up our uh, carbon, if you like, and to create the uh, thousands of jobs for Victorians, uh, we need to make sure that we have a really important balance and an eye to... uh, what matters to local communities. And we know, of course, that uh, with transmission infrastructure, uh, that's an essential part of the equation, not just here in Victoria, but right across uh, the country and indeed uh, internationally. So Uh, what are you going to pay? Yeah, well, this compensation package, of course, uh, strikes the right balance. Uh, It's a a good compensation. We're looking at uh, providing uh, for those landholders who would be hosting uh, transmission easements, uh, that uh, the compensation regime, in addition to what their current entitlements are, I must say, uh, we're looking at uh, uh, $8,000 uh, per year per kilometre uh, over uh, multiplied by 25 years, and that'll be indexed to CPI. We, we think that that's a really good um, package and a fair payment of compensation for landholders. 
Uh, we're going to be moving as quickly as we can uh, with the legislation. Uh, it could be about 12 months away, but uh, we will ensure that that legislation and the compensation regime, this additional payment scheme, uh, will be available uh, to projects that are currently underway. So, for example, the Western Renewables uh, Link uh, and the VNI West and any other uh, transmission projects uh, that uh, may come up in the future. The Western Transmission Project, as an example, has been around a long time. No doubt many uh, protests and, and discussion about this project that you'd be no doubt aware of. Why make this move to announce compensation now? Oh, we've been working on this for uh, a number of months and we know uh, that uh, transmission is going to be a really important key uh, to unlocking uh, the 59,000 jobs uh, that we'll be creating through our renewable energy targets, 95% renewables by 2035, and regional Victorians are going to be in uh, are going to be the big beneficiaries of that uh, that reform and the growth of those uh, renewable energy projects. Is it an omission uh, though that the policy without compensation from your government was flawed? No, not at all. Uh, what we've always had a mind to is that uh, we know that. Uh, uh, we need more transmission, and in fact, not just in Victoria, but uh, uh, across uh, the country. Uh, New South Wales has moved to introduce an additional compensation uh, scheme for uh, landholders uh, of transmission easements. Uh, we're obviously uh, doing the same, uh, and uh, this is a fair approach to take, and uh, it needs to be done. And, uh, and we also got to reflect on the fact that, really, uh, b- the build of new transmission uh, across the country and certainly in Victoria, we haven't seen big projects built in many, many years. And, but we know, of course, that uh, with uh, the move to re- renewables, we need to make sure that, you know, we're able to have transmission in areas that other, uh, that uh, in the past have not necessarily been needed. So mm-hmm. it's a fair balance, striking the balance of community uh, sentiment, uh, the sentiment so you of think this is fair? and getting... Yes, I think it is a very, very fair package. Even though and it doesn't decide between, say, poor-value farmland and high-value farmland? Well, can I just say that uh, this is in addition to what currently exists uh, for landholders. Uh, the, uh, the landholders will continue to have uh, access uh, to negotiated outcomes uh, or indeed where no negotiations can't uh, be concluded or achieved uh, through negotiations with uh, uh, transmission proponents that they, they can seek um, uh, redress under the Land Acquisition Act. So that scheme still is in place. So there's many opportunities uh, for... uh, Well, there are several opportunities for landholders uh, to be able to negotiate uh, through uh, what currently exists to them. So this doesn't uh, preclude uh, landholders from, say, uh, challenging things through the federal government sphere or the state government sphere or through other um, compensation programs? Oh, well, look, I mean, what, what individual landholders may wish to do is a matter for them and whatever legal advice they wish to rely on. I mean, what, what we're doing here as a government is doing a responsible thing, a fair thing, making sure that we uh, have the right balance between uh, the needs uh, uh, and the impacts on local landholders and communities. Getting that balance right is really critical and we believe that, uh, you know, this comp- additional compensation uh, scheme uh, does just that. Uh, it's, it's a fair benefit. Uh, and, uh, and just on say- that too, the government has barely engaged with protesters on, say, the issue of the Western Transmissions Project, but also uh, in Gippsland recently with announcements as well. Should you have engaged with those who those landholders who are against these projects 
earlier and raised things like this compensation payments and its possibility and got to a point like this much sooner than what it has taken? Uh, well, look, I, I can say that m- myself and my office have had uh, many uh, conversations and meetings with a variety of stakeholders uh, over the Western Renewables Link over a long period of time, and that'll continue. Uh, I'm always keen uh, to engage... Protesters with and landholders say... Local member after local member, they've tried to engage with you as a minister, they've tried to engage with the Premier, they've tried to engage with and they've heard largely nothing. Well, well, look, um, that's not correct. I mean, I've got my office that have engaged uh, quite uh, frequently uh, with uh, uh, those that may be concerned uh, out there and and we hear them, absolutely. But look, I mean, we've got to consider the fact that we're going through a big transformation here and and, uh, we absolutely are committed to... Uh, community consultation. We've uh, had, in fact, uh, uh, over the last uh, months, had consultations around uh, a transmission uh, infrastructure framework, a Victorian transmission infrastructure, uh, uh, infrastructure framework, which goes to the very questions right across our state about how do we engage better with communities, how do the proponents of um, uh, infrastructure projects uh, to do with energy, how do they engage better, and what are the co-benefits that could be identified to support local communities. So we've been working on that now for um, about 12 months at least uh, and we're not far away, I'm not far away from releasing the the final framework that really um, does go to a lot of the questions and concerns and suggestions and really good ideas that communities have shared with us uh, to develop up a framework that I believe will go a long way um, to really having a modern <coughs> uh, framework for engagement with communities, benefit sharing arrangements uh, that will certainly... And, and of course, earlier consultation uh, that I think will give local communities the confidence... Well, communities have be- constantly told <laughs> us they don't feel cons- uh, can, uh, like they've had adequate consultation. But I don't want to finish on there, Minister, because I, I want to see if you could clarify something that was just raised on this program earlier. Um, there was a suggestion earlier when we were speaking to one of uh, the members about the compensation landholders there uh, that uh, you had used your powers as minister this week to take control of the, the projects to effectively reduce its chances of legal challenge or the ability for legal challenge. Is that the case? No, that's not the a case. A government uh... gazette earlier this week? The government will help people choose to interpret it as a matter for them, uh, but this is uh, the fact, and uh, I'm here right now at a National Energy Minister's meeting uh, where uh, everyone across the country, uh, all states, territories, regardless of their political persuasions, know and agree that transmission uh, is a big challenge for all of us uh, as we transition to renewable energy. And uh, everyone wants to see and understand that we need to. Oh, move, I understand uh, ministers are talking oh, about no, this, but finish. the point of no, this let, question no, is. Let, let me finish. No, let me finish. Is it, uh, have you reduced finish. the opportunity for legal you challenge? Want, well, like I said to you, let me finish. Uh, what we've done this week with that gazelle is to ensure that we move uh, uh, quickly uh, on uh, ensuring that transmission projects are done. And that, of course, includes all of the necessary consultations that need to happen with communities. So that they feel uh, that they listen, that they are heard, and they listen to, uh, and that um, they can have confidence in processes. That's what it's about. Uh, this is about ensuring that transmission projects get done in a timely fashion, with our Victorian transmission in, uh, infrastructure framework. That will, once it's released, 
people, I think, will have should have confidence that that will really go to the heart of com- community consultation, uh, benefit sharing, uh, and also early engagements uh, with uh, proponents that um, want to bring forward transmission. And these are the things that we're all putting in place to ensure that we have the best uh, approach to consultation engagement and benefit sharing with local communities and we get this right. And we, we are hearing the opposite to. from local communities at the moment, albeit talkback is ad hoc though. Lily D'Ambrosio, we are very thankful for your time on the program and you making yourself available. I imagine it's an extraordinarily busy day, but thank you for joining us on The Country Hour. Thank you. That is the Minister for Energy, uh, Environment and Climate Change, Lily D'Ambrosio, taking you through the program. She's saying she's consulting with you if you're one of the farmers on that area and her door has been open to you and her office has been responding. You can tell us if that is the case, 1300 977 2 or indeed we're running low on time, can send us an email. We can address it again on Monday. Countryhour at abc.net.au is our email. Countryhour at abc.net.au. You. Running out of time fastly on the country, but I know that is an important issue to you. So we're trying to get the best answers we could for you on your behalf on the program. Let's take you overseas to end the country out for this week, where major supermarkets in the United Kingdom are now rationing fresh vegetables as a supply shortage starts to bite. Tesco, Aldi, Asda, and Morrison's are all limiting sales of goods like tomatoes, capsicums, and cucumbers. Uh, the blame has been on power shortages and export shortages from places like the European Union due to Brexit and other issues. It was a major issue addressed at the British National Farmers Union conference this week and President Manette Batters says the government hasn't been listening. As photographs on social media just this week have shown, despite our warnings, those shelves are empty again. The rhetoric of successive governments that we are a wealthy country, we can just import our food, must be exposed as naive in the extreme in a rapidly and challenging world. That is Minette Batter. She went further, actually, and addressed the reasons that she believes there's a shortage of food in the UK right now, fresh food, I should say, in an interview with the BBC. Here's what she said. We've been warning about this for a very long time. And in fact, I called an emergency press conference at the beginning of December last year on the back of the rationing of eggs, saying that if we didn't act, we would be facing rationing in in other sectors. And that is effectively exactly what is happening. And a lot of that is being driven by the price of gas, which is down, but it's still three times higher than what it was back in 2019. So if you're growing under cover, which for tomatoes, cucumbers, aubergines, peppers, they are grown in in a sort of closed environment so that they can be kept warm. And if you're facing all of those costs and you're not getting a fair return back from it, you are having to cut your production levels. The challenges in Morocco and Spain of climate change, that again is, is driving problems globally. That is Minette Batters, who is the head of the National Farmers Union. Uh, that's about all the time we have for you on the Country Hour today. No markets, of course, on a Friday. little bit of you guys are getting your comments in on hearing the Minister and the Government's offer of compensation as well. Here's a couple right next to each other. One saying... 
pants on fire in regards to your interview with the Minister. This one saying, though, Warwick, the Minister's compensation sounds good. You should say thank you. I don't think I've ever said thank you on government policy. Anonymous texter, it's for me to ask the questions and test it and you to decide. You can tell me if you're saying thank you. Warwick, uh, plenty more texts coming in, actually, at the moment, saying don't get sucked in by the promise of thousands of jobs. I've said that about things like national park declarations, but the extra jobs are minimal. Uh, why won't state government abide by the law instead of changing the rules is another text message as well. I think this is a conversation that's going to continue. Catch you later.